get back into our series on First Peter. Um, I think it is a bit unfortunate, yet also instructive, that we are jumping back into First Peter on this passage where Peter is giving specific instructions to wives and husbands. I think it's unfortunate because jumping back in like this can have a tendency to have us separate these instructions from the whole letter that Peter wrote. It actually took him two chapters to get to this point. So it's a bit unfortunate that we're jumping up in this way. But I also think it's instructive because this is often what we do with Scripture. We often pull it out of its context, and then we try and make sense of it with our 21st century sensibilities and lenses. And that often gives us a distorted view. And then that distorted view... I think, tempts us to either dismiss the words as culturally irrelevant or it tempts us to cling to the specifics and then create a legalistic checklist. So by God's grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I hope to walk a path between these two extremes, between the extreme of dismissal and legalism. And I hope to walk a path that honors the word of our Lord and helps us to glorify him and honor him with our lives. So please hear God's word to us from verse chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words, by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, Be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. Oh, Father, May we come to your word this morning with eyes that want to see and ears that want to hear your word and your teaching. Please help us to put down any baggage or defensiveness that may accompany these words and help us to wrestle with and discern and accept the truth of your word. 
In Jesus' name, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So there are seemingly so many minefields and areas of contention in this short passage of seven verses. I've spoken with a couple of younger gals about this passage, and they frankly felt a little uncomfortable. They didn't know what to do with the specific instructions that were in it. And even some of the guys in the preaching group remarked that they were thankful that they weren't the ones who were preaching on this passage. Um, So, and personally, you know, I've struggled with it a little bit. You know, why six verses on wives and one on husbands? But, you know, seriously, a little bit more closer to home, I was, it's hard not, it's hard to read these instructions and not feel like I'm personally not measuring up. Or worse, I'm tempted to maybe even think how Mark might not be measuring up. The temptations to interact with this passage seem endless. So I think the first step is to put these instructions in the, whole, is in the context of what Peter has been writing up to this point. There is a constant ebb and flow in Peter's writing. He is writing between that ebb and flow between the heavenly realities of Jesus Christ coming and redeeming us and his call for a radical response of trust and gratitude and obedience. It's an ebb and flow between God's call and our response between the living hope that we have in Christ and our response of gratitude. So chapter 1, Peter opens up with this beautiful praise to God for the new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. And that resurrection we celebrated last week, and it was just beautiful. And through that resurrection, Jesus has given us an inheritance that will never perish. That's an awesome heavenly reality. And then in verse 13, Peter moves into our radical response, a description of what living in that living hope looks like. Be holy and focus on the grace given to you. Do not conform to the world. Get rid of malice, deceit, and slander. Obey the truth and love one another. In chapter 2, that ebb and flows, that ebb and flow continues. The living hope does not end with the individual, but it flows into this communal reality where each one of us is part of God's living temple, where we are intimately and essentially connected. We are a chosen people people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We belong to God, and we have been shown mercy. In response to that heavenly reality, Peter writes about a radical communal response. He tells us what the community of God looks like. 
and it looks really different from the culture that was around it. Thus, Peter's call for us to be aliens and strangers. So this communal life is a life of submission for God's sake. He talks about citizens submitting to rulers. And he talks about slaves submitting to masters. And again, the ebb and flow. After giving specific instructions to citizens and to slaves, Peter brings us back to the heavenly reality of Christ. Lest our focus become too temporal or narrow, so at the end of chapter 2, and we read this early in, earlier in the service, Peter reminds us that Christ suffered and that he is an example for us. He suffered and he did not retaliate. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. In John 14, Jesus said, The world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Jesus did not grasp. He did not retaliate. He did not lie. He did not make threats. His submission to his Father was not coerced. It wasn't forced. It wasn't done through gritted teeth. Jesus' submission was freely given, was lovingly given. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. That is a call on our lives. So Peter moves into a description of another communal response, a response that hits really close to home because it's directed at the home directed at the foundational relationship between husbands and wives. And so before we get into each section about husbands and wives, I think it's important to to see that Peter repeated a phrase before each section. He says, in the same way. Wives, in the same way. Husbands, in the same way. What same way? Is he referring to? So Peter is linking these instructions to wives and husbands to the instructions that he had given earlier to citizens and slaves. And all of these radical responses that Peter is calling for, they emanate from the reality of Jesus that he just wrote about and we had read about earlier. Jesus, who is the source of our hope, is also the example to us of what life with God looks like. Jesus entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Citizens and slaves, entrust yourself to the one who judges justly. Wives and husbands, entrust yourselves. Entrust yourselves to the one who judges justly. Entrust yourselves to the one who bore your sins so that you might die to sin and live for righteousness. Entrust yourselves to the overseer and shepherd of your souls. 
Now, let's move into our passage and see what that looks like. Wives, in the same way, entrust yourselves to the one who judges justly. Peter gives us two examples or two instructions of what that looks like. Submit to your husbands and develop a spirit that is of great worth in the sight of God. To better understand this response, I think it's helpful to have a little bit of a cultural, a little cultural background. The reading that I've done indicates that wives and women in this culture, they had it really tough, a lot like slaves. Um, They weren't valued, as indicated by the widespread um, female infanticide, where they just let female babies die. Women couldn't own property. Clearly, they couldn't be involved in politics. They faced real danger in childbirth. And they were subject to the rule and authority and whims of their husbands. And that included religion. The husband decided the religion of the household, and everyone was expected to comply. So given this reality, Peter's exhortation to wives to not fear, I think it's put in perspective. Wives feared not only for their lives and for their well-being, they feared not being heard and not being seen and not having influence. And while I don't, while we women don't live in the harsh realities of the culture of the first century church, I think some of those fears still resonate with us today. So remember, Peter is calling for a radical response to a heavenly reality. Wives, entrust yourselves to Jesus. Don't rely on arguments or words, but let the true word of God, the life of Jesus, be evident in your behavior, particularly with those who don't know Jesus and particularly with those who can hurt us most. That's hard. Peter says, don't rely on outward adornment to be seen or to have influence. It's not that braids or gold are bad. It's where we put our trust. Cultivate a vibrant life of hope with God that overflows into an attitude of serenity and peace. Peter says to wives, don't fear insignificance. Look to the women of the past who were part of God's story. The beauty that radiated from their trust and hope in God spanned generations. The honor they gave to their husbands is a testimony to God. Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their lives for their friends. Wives and women, entrust yourselves to the one who judges justly. Husbands, in the same way, 
Entrust yourselves to the one who judges justly. Peter's call to husbands includes consideration to their wives and treating them with respect as weaker partners and as co-heirs. Now, at first glance, this response may not seem very radical. Respect, consideration, that's kind of baseline stuff. Don't husbands have all the authority? Don't they have all the power? So with our 21st century sensibilities, I think it's hard to appreciate the radical nature of this first verse. So the Greco-Roman culture of the day was truly antithetical to the ideas in this short verse. Consideration and respect for someone weaker than you, let alone a woman, never. It was all about power and position. And treat a wife as a co-heir? It's utterly foolish and absurd in that day. A first-century Greco-Roman man took control, asserted authority, and kept others under control. He gave orders to ensure compliance. Domineering leadership, unquestioned decisions, and forced forced submission were the practices and the expectation of that day. And while the power dynamics in our day are not as harsh as they were back then, I suspect that some of those relational expectations still resonate today. So remember, Peter is calling for a radical response to a heaven reality. Husbands, entrust yourselves to the one who judges justly. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but let your minds be transformed. Don't demand submission from your wife. Be mindful and attentive to her in the midst of your lives. Don't treat her with contempt or disdain, but recognize her vulnerabilities and treat her with care. For she is an heir with you in God's kingdom. Jesus said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And now we come to this last puzzling and difficult phrase, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. It seems Peter is suggesting that these actions, which reflect a heavenly reality, can facilitate a more open conversation with, prayer, with God, because that's what prayer really is. It's a conversation with God. 
So if you treat others with disdain, contempt, or disrespect, especially in our closest relationships, then your conversation with God will be hindered. Husbands, entrust yourselves to the one who judges justly. So, people of God, citizens and slaves, husbands and wives, men and women, in the same way, entrust yourselves to the one who judges justly. Entrust yourselves to Jesus who bore your sins so that you might die to sin and live to righteousness. Entrust yourselves to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We are called out of darkness into his wonderful light. May our lives declare the praises of him as we live into the heavenly reality that broke into this world with Jesus and with his resurrection. Please join me in prayer. Holy Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you for the challenge of living in a way that reflects the heavenly reality of new life through Jesus. Jesus, we ask that your joy may be in us and that our joy may be complete as we entrust ourselves to you. And as we come to your table this morning, may we be renewed and refreshed by your love, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen.